Welcome back to the Physique Factory podcast. And today, it's just me. It's just Connor. Um, we haven't done one of these for a while. And I feel like every time I come on here, I just like make excuses about why we haven't done a podcast for a while. Um, but genuinely, there has been a lot of shit going on. I've been going on holiday. James has finished up competing. Um, and now we can't get five minutes to actually do one of these together. Five, five minutes wouldn't be a very good podcast. It wouldn't be very long. But you know what I mean. Um this is actually the second time I've recorded this one, so I should be well practiced in this because I recorded it last Tuesday and um, yeah, it didn't work. The whole thing didn't save. I got seven minutes of it, so managed to to actually make a tiny bit of content for Instagram out of it. So it wasn't a total fail, but yeah, like one hour um, gone from my life. That's it, wasted. Um, but what I was talking about and what I'm going to talk about today is bulking. If you're if you're even allowed to say that anymore. Um, it's kind of frowned upon, isn't it? Like bulking's a bad term. We've we've got got to call it a gaining phase because we don't want to call it bulking because it's bad to get too fat. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's like you know, it's like everything else in life. The what what would you call them? The the crew that are uh, easily offended crew are are within bodybuilding and you know fitness world now as well. But because as I say, bulking's bad. Not how to say it, um, which is bad because I've just brought out something called the bulking blueprint. So maybe shouldn't have called it that. I might get cancelled. Um, but yeah, you should check that out. You should go over to my Instagram and download it for free because everything that I I'm going to talk about today is included within the bulking blueprint. And there's um free meal plans, free um training plans there's a free tracker sheet you can use to track your progress um so yeah check it out i mean there's there's lots of free stuff so why not um but yeah today i'm going to talk about bulking i'm going to talk about my experiences um where i've maybe went wrong in the past and i'm basically going to give you a step-by-step guide to how you can set up a proper bulking or gaining phase or whatever you want to call it hopefully i'm not upset too many people already um but we might as well start where we're at right so the first thing you're going to need to figure out is how much food you're going to have to eat because obviously that's a big fucking thing when it comes to gaining now i have made that mistake of just eating everything in sight and i'm going to go into that i'm going to talk about dirty bulking as it's referred to and you know the pros and cons of that because i think there is there is pros to it as well as cons um but first of all we need to figure out how much calories you're eating right now and you might already know that if you've already been doing a cut of some sort or if you've already been doing some sort of like diet you you might already know how many calories you're on but if you don't the easy way to figure out is basically just to to write down everything you eat for a week and figure out the calories for everything that you eat for the week obviously look at how much protein you're eating as well um add all those calories up for the whole week divide it by seven and figure out an average right and you might want to do this you know if you're going to be really particular you'll do this actually over over the course of a couple of weeks because if you do it over the course of a couple of weeks figure out your average calories and then you can see what's happening with your weight throughout that as well so is your weight going up is your weight going down because chances are if your weight's going up you're eating in a calorie surplus and chances are if your weight's going down then you're eating a calorie deficit again as i say chances are if uh, if your weight stays the same then you're going to be maintaining you're sitting around maintenance calories so um yeah so figure that out and then if your weight is staying the same and you want to gain well then bring your calories up i would start it's hard to put a figure on this, but I'll start by saying at least 100 calories. At least I wouldn't do any less than that. I wouldn't edge it up 50 calories. That's going to do fuck all. It's not going to make much difference. Um, And 
again, if your weight's staying the same and you're not really seeing the performance benefits, you're not getting stronger in the gym um, and nothing's really happening, then you're going to want to up that again. But you're going to want to bring it up and you're going to want to obviously see how that goes. Give it, you know, seven to 10 days. Obviously, if you're still like starving and if your weight's going down and things like that before the seven to 10 day mark, then yeah, totally up again. But, you know, give it some time, see what's happening, get your feedback from the data and then kind of make your changes from there. In terms of your protein, um, I always recommend, and I always have eight between probably 1.25 to 1.5 grams of protein per pound of lean body mass. Now, that probably sounds a little bit confusing, but like you don't want to go solely on your body weight because you know, you could be carrying a lot of fat. And the more fat you carry, the less that becomes appropriate. If you're, you know, setting at like 40% body fat and you're setting it at 1.25 grams per pound of body weight, then that's going to be pretty fucking high. Um, so you, you kind of want to figure out your lean body mass roughly, right? And even if you type into Google, body fat percentage, male or female, um, and look at the pictures um, that, what are they called? Big personal training gym, fucking hell. Forget the name of them. Oh, come back to me. Anyway, there's there's like charts that you get, right? And there is a company out there that do it very, very well. I'm, I fucking can't remember that name. That's really annoying me. I'm going to have to look that up because that is going to upset me. Body fat. Ultimate performance. That's it. Oh, that was quick, wasn't it? Um, Ultimate performance. Yeah, so they've got a really good one, both a male and a female one. Look at that picture and be like, which one do I resemble the most? Am I, you know, 5% body fat, 10%? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then basically, if you weigh 100 kilos and say you're 10% body fat, well, your lean body mass is going to be round about 90 kilos. So there, you can base it on that. And then obviously translate that into pounds because I gave you your um, I gave you your protein target in pounds. So 1.25 gram to 1.5 gram per pound of lean body mass, okay? Now, speaking of body fat percentages, this is where I would recommend if you're sitting... And again, looking at those pictures, let me just grab it up in front of me just to like so that we're all talking about the same thing here. Um again, I use those pictures quite a lot because I think they're it's a great visual way of looking at body fat percentage. I think ultimate performance have done a good job of putting them together. So credit where credit is due. Um but if like I'm looking at the male one right now, and if you're between 25, you know, if you're 25% plus, or even yeah, 25% plus, if you're in the bottom row then you're going to want to cut first. You're not going to want to start dieting down, uh, sorry, upping your calories from that point um, and going into more of a surplus because you're you're only going to get so far to the point where it's like you, you keep upping and upping your calories and you're, your body's already primed for fat gain. It's in a position where it's more likely to gain fat. Um, but also you're only going to be able to push for so long because you'll get to the point where you actually realize that, wait a minute, I'm holding a lot of body fat here. I don't like the way I look. And then you're going to end up starting to cut. So the, the leaner you are, the longer you tend to be able to push into a, a, a gaining phase. And we want to spend a lot of time gaining. We actually, you're, you're going to want to spend more time gaining than you do cutting throughout your training career. That's that's a certain because it takes longer to gain muscle. In 12 weeks, for example, right, you can drop a lot of body fat. You make some big changes to the way that you look, obviously depending on your starting point and obviously depending on how lean you want to get body fat. But in 12 weeks, you can make some huge changes with fat loss. You can't necessarily do the same when it comes to gaining muscle. Um, the first time you go into a gaining phase, and yeah, you will probably see a big difference because you get those kind of newbie gains, those beginner gains. But you know, the longer you've been training for, 
the more likely it is that you'll gain less and less muscle each time, if that makes sense. Um, and it's something you don't want to get in that mindset of, oh, I'm, I'm not going to gain that much muscle. Because you do, like, what you perceive to be true definitely does become true. But we have to be realistic, too. And, like, the first time you do a gain of face, yes, you'll get a, a brilliant response. You'll you'll see some big changes. And then, as I say, gradually over time, that may start to slow down. That may take you longer, longer to gain muscle. For example, you know, when I've competed in between shows and things like that, like, you know, I've maybe done, like, a year and a half, like, gaining phase in between shows. And I've come back to the next show, and actually, I'm only like a kilo or two kilos heavier. So it doesn't necessarily mean that all I've gained is a kilo of muscle. But, you know, for someone, especially naturally, to gain two kilos, three kilos of muscle, that's huge. That's a lot of muscle. Um, and that's not going to happen in 12 weeks for most people. As I say, unless you're a relative beginner um, and you're getting those newbie gains or you're just fucking genetically gifted, that's probably not going to happen for you. So, you know, it is, it is playing the long game with gaining and people don't like that. People want to blow up overnight and you will get people, you will get people, especially that are, are using gear and things like that and have the superior genetics that seem to just blow up within a year. But for most people, this is, this is playing the long game. For most people, this is going to be, you know, years of spending time in gaining phases, cutting back down to see what you've achieved spending more time in gaining phase and again as i say probably spending i i would actually say like a two to one ratio if you if you're serious about gaining size you're going to want to be spending probably twice as much time gaining if not even more and um, a, a minimum of twice as much time gaining as you are cutting uh, that absolutely if you if you're wanting to gain some serious size that is something you want to think about. So, like, say throughout the year, for example, um, I'm going to have to do some fucking maths here, aren't I? but, like, if you're spending four months cutting, you're going to want to spend at least eight months gaining. That's that's probably a good ratio if you're someone who wants to gain a lot of size. Um, But going back to what we're talking about, we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about calorie surpluses. You might not even know what calorie surplus is. I think most people that listen to this will, but if you don't know what calorie surplus is, it's basically when you consume more calories than you expend, right? So if you burn this amount of calories and you're eating this amount of calories, there's that gap. And that gap is a surplus. Then alternatively, if, if you're burning this amount of calories and if you're um, eating this amount of calories, this is probably pretty shit if you're listening on Spotify. I, I realize that. Um, I'm doing some stuff with my hands here. Um, but, you know, this gap becomes a, the deficit, okay? And over time, those those things add into to weight gain or muscle gain and or, or fat loss and, um, you know, <laughs> so or weight loss that's what i mean to say um but think about like um if you're building a house for example right you're if you're building a house and you've not got enough materials then you can't build the house so that's kind of what calorie surplus is like you need enough energy you need to be consuming more energy than you're expending and um you, you need to have the energy there to do it. if your body's in a deficit it's not got the spare energy to to put towards building muscle so a calorie surplus is going to be pretty useful when it comes to gaining, but calorie surplus just comes from what you eat. Whereas like your calories out, obviously there's a few things that come into that. There's a basal metabolic rate, which is calories you burn at complete rest. There's movement, there's exercise, you know, non-exercise activity, and then digestion as well, which, you know, when you eat certain foods, well, when you eat any foods, it takes calories to burn that. Um, and the more protein you eat, the, the more calories you need to, um, or the more energy it takes to digest that because protein is harder to break down. Um, and so is fiber and things like that too. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, but yeah, the, you need to be in that calorie surplus because you're not going to gain any appreciable tissue without a calorie surplus. Again, there is caveats to that. There is complete beginners. There is newbie gains. Like definitely when I get clients that either 
are new to training or haven't trained hard before, you start to get that response where actually maybe their weight didn't go down that much, but like things like their measurements and their pictures do change. Um, and that means one thing. It means they're gaining muscle. It means their body fat percentage is actually going down. Um, they're losing fat, but they're gaining muscle. So this is why, again, for anyone who's going through a dieting phase or has dieted and never noticed their weight go down massively, it may be that you're actually just gaining muscle at a rate that you're losing body fat. Now that won't happen for everyone, as I say. That's like a newbie gain sort of thing, or someone that's like again new to hard training. I definitely have seen it where I've taken on clients, and I'm thinking particularly females one to one who have done other one to one training before, but they've maybe never been pushed hard. You know, they've done airy fairy sort of fucking group classes things where it's it's basically about getting up, getting a sweat on and. Yeah, anyway, that that just about had to stop myself there. I was just about to go into a whole other subject there. But, you know, when they come in and they start training properly with a bit of intensity, using exercises that are more suited to them and they can get more out of, then they start to gain muscle because they've never done that before. It's new to them. It's an adaptation. And they're, they're, even though they're in a calorie deficit, they still seem to gain muscle. Um, and... You know, again, thinking about that same demographic, and I know I'm I'm going off subject here, it can throw them off a little bit because I've seen clients of mine who definitely are underwhelmed with their progress because they're not seeing the scales move. But it doesn't matter how much you show them the pictures and how different they look in them or how much you show them the changes in the measurements. All they want to see is the scales move. And it's like, look, the scales only tell half the story if you've lost five pounds of fat but you've gained five pounds of muscle you stay the exact same weight but you look very very different so anyway how i got onto that i don't know but calorie surplus is essential for gaining muscle unless you fall into one of those caveats okay um and while, while we're on that <laughs> let's talk about my experiences let's start talking about dirty bulking um take a breath man fucking hard doing these by yourself see see when you've got someone to bounce off you get a little break you can just take a breath but um yeah it's hard hard when you're by yourself um although i can talk for an hour straight pretty easy to be fair i can fucking do it all day every day um so yeah what's i saying dirty bulking um yeah in my experience i don't think a bigger calorie surplus means more gains more i don't think i don't necessarily think that the more you the more you eat the more muscle you gain i don't think it just works like that but there is some pros to doing dirty bulking and the pros of it are you know you're definitely in a surplus which you know sometimes you may question if you're if you're being more preservative preservative conservative <laughs> um you know you'll get stronger definitely because weight tends to move weight Again, in my experience, though, I find that only happens to a certain point. And then I realized eventually I was just getting fatter and not getting any stronger and it was becoming counterproductive. Um, but if you get stronger in the right rep ranges, that's going to translate to, to muscle gain. Um, and the big pro, of, uh, the, the best thing is going to be that you could eat whatever you want with absolutely no restrictions, Um, which might not be the healthiest thing, which kind of takes me on to the cons. Like it, it, it is unhealthy, dirty bulking. If you're eating lots of shit essentially a lot of um you know food that isn't nutrient dense a lot of um calorie dense things that are like calorie dense doesn't necessarily mean bad because I, I suppose you could say uh avocado is calorie dense but if you're eating a lot of processed foods that don't have a lot of nutrients in them it's not 
the healthiest thing to do and holding a lot of body fat that comes with that isn't necessarily a great look um, and it puts you in a position where your your digestive system is probably going to be pretty fucked um, which isn't something you're going to want um, and again if you're not digesting that food properly and assimilating that food properly then aren't isn't necessarily doing you any good um, and then obviously again you, you get the body into position where it's almost primed for gaining fat um, and then you've got to lose that fat again. So when it comes to dieting down, you're going to have to lose that fat again. So things I would think about is obviously your starting point with that and I suppose the finish point with that too, the the kind of where are you going next with this, um, which is something obviously I'm, I'm going to talk about as we go through. But like if you're planning on dieting down again soon, then a dirty bulk is probably not going to be a good idea because then it's going to mean a longer diet. So you've kind of got to think about these things and weigh up the pros and cons. But it's one of those things that, like, I think most guys try it once. Um, I don't know if females do it to the same degree. I think there's maybe more of a fear of fat gain with females, Um, whereas guys, I think most guys listening will have tried a dirty bulk. Um, I know I certainly have. <laughs> um, Again, drawing on my experiences from it back in 2016 i've done nine months of dieting for bodybuilding shows and after the final show i decided i was like right i need to gain more tissue i need to get more muscle i'm going to go in a bulk i'm going to fucking put my meals up to this i'm going to start eating this amount of calories a day and you know a lot of the time when you're dieting down and you're hungry you do think these things and you know you talk about game but i actually went and done it and i, I brought my calories right up to five thousand. and bear in mind I would be what 66 kilos if I was lucky at the time. Um and you know, I'm not that tall. Um so I, I probably don't need five thousand calories or anything like it. Um and I was just I was eating good foods a lot of the time, but then I was I was topping it up with shit because eating five thousand calories of good nutrient dense foods is difficult. Um in, in fact, it's it is a total effort. Like I used to eat two hundred grams of oats, two hundred grams raw oats. Um, I didn't eat them raw, but raw weight oats. Um, in the morning, and I used to feel sick from about seven o'clock in the morning till about half past ten, eleven o'clock. Um, I just felt absolutely sick because it was so much food. Um, and you're having that with protein and sometimes like peanut butter in it and things like that, banana in it sometimes, and you were just absolutely hammering the calories in but obviously like th there's so much fiber in that that it's so difficult to digest and then there's obviously all the water as well when you're cooking those oats it's like yeah um it, it wasn't good and then I, I just got fatter and fatter and I thought you know the more food I put in I was like I'll get I'll get my strength back again after the cut and I'll start gaining muscle and I wasn't getting any stronger I was just getting fatter which is isn't great and then eventually obviously strength does take time to come back but it came back and then i got stronger and stronger and i did get pretty strong that year but again it got to the point where it was counterproductive i was, I was gaining fat but i wasn't getting any stronger so like the fat gain essentially wasn't wasn't worth it um so you know again i'm talking about getting stronger it's not not uh, just get, get, getting on to the training side of things it's not that we have to necessarily get stronger and stronger getting stronger and stronger will help but like I'm, I'm maybe putting too much of an emphasis on that when it comes to the training side of things um for your training you're going to want to think about quite a lot and again this could be a podcast by itself um 
which <laughs> again, me and James have probably talked about a lot of this stuff, a lot of the RTSisms as as we call them. Um, you know, looking at the, you know, who we're talking about, um, like, you know, what the goal is. Obviously, the goal is gain fucking tissue everywhere in this case. Um, and then, you know, have own and tolerate as well. What what joint ranges you got available, what joint ranges um can you can you own? Do you have ownership of your body in those those positions? Um, and then tolerance as well. Again, we'll, we'll get we'll get into all this things, all this stuff. So, uh, to be honest, the first thing I look at for most people um that are listening to this that are thinking about this kind of thing is looking at the training split. And it's like, what training split should you use? What training split is the best? I, I bet you that's that's the kind of question that you get. What training split is the best? Um, and the answer is no, there isn't one. Of course, there isn't one. Um. You know, there's not going to be one that's more beneficial than another. I don't even think, and again, in my personal experience, I don't even think training more frequently is better than training less frequently, if that makes sense. Like you, whether you train your chest twice a week or three times a week compared to training it once per week, as long as as long as that once per week's done with intensity, I don't think there's there's much difference between that. Um, that's just my personal opinion, just from my my bias from trying it. Um, in fact, most of my training career, not at the start. But most of my training career, I've only trained trained like my chest for like two or three movements, um, per week. So two or three exercises, probably two or three working sets per week, and it's my best body part. So you know what what does that tell you about genetics? Um, and on the other hand, I spent like um a long time sprint uh, training my calves three times per week, and they're fucking shite. So they did improve when I done that though. So I don't know. That's, I've kind of contradicted myself already there. Um, I, I'm just talking random fucking shit today, to be honest. I'm just I'm all over the place with this, this information, but kind of one thing's leading to the next. But um, yeah, so training split. How often can you train? That's going to be a big one because if you can train only three times per week, well, maybe you do push pull legs, or I actually do pull push legs because I like to deadlift in the pool day. So then you know it gives enough rest. Um, if you can train four times, maybe you do upper lower. Or and that way you're training everything twice you can try it out for yourself and see if i'm talking shit or not again i've done that didn't really like it um just didn't feel i approached the sessions with the same intensity as i do if i do a kind of bro split sort of thing like i do now so right now or not right now but um once the gym's open again and before the before this whole thing started with the gym um when i was training four times per week i was doing a, a pool day so a back day with deadlifts um and then I was doing like a push day, like chest, shoulders, triceps. Um, and then I was doing legs and then I was doing an upper body session. And that's kind of how I was training. Like I, I found that kind of worked the best for me. But I found if I'd done upper, lower, upper, lower, I just wasn't approaching things with the same intensity, especially the leg stuff, because you are you know you're doing them twice per week. Um, but, you know, again, each is their own. Try these things out, see what you think. But, you know... Find the split that works for the number of days that you can train. If you can train five days, then you can go more of a bro split. You can go back, you can go chest, you can go legs, shoulders, and then arms. You know, you can do that. You you can you can split it whatever way you like. As long as things are getting hit with the intensity that they need to be, which again we're we're going we're going to talk about. And um, you know, what's going to be really important is going to be including exercises that you like. And again, it's not something that people talk about the most uh, that much because People talk about, oh, this is the most optimal exercise for your chest or bench press is the best. You have to bench press for your chest. But what if you don't fucking like that optimal exercise or what if you don't fucking like bench pressing? You're, In my opinion, you're only going to take an exercise to its limits and push it far 
if you're enjoying doing it. You know, I'd really like to do a dumbbell chest press. And that's something that I've progressed quite a lot in my training career. And I think I find it easy to progress that because I enjoy doing it. I, I look forward to coming in the gym and doing some dumbbell chest press. But, you know, an exercise that maybe I, I wouldn't enjoy, which I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, there's there's not many I don't like. Um, But, you know, the ones that you don't enjoy as much, you're going to go go into the gym and be like, oh, fuck, you know, we've got dumbbell chest press today. Connor's programmed it because he loves it, but I hate it. Um, And you're never going to get that far with an exercise that you hate. It's just, you know, you're not going to enjoy doing it. You're not going to approach it with the same intensity. You're not going to have the same drive for it. So pick the exercises that you like, but also ones that kind of suit you. So you've got to get that balance of what, what you want and what you need, if that makes sense. Getting that kind of balance of that. Um, because obviously you don't want to be picking exercises that are going to cause you injuries. Because again, you want to be able to do this for a long time. And as I said to you already, the the gaining phase is is very much a long game. It's not a it's not a quick fix. It's not a short eight week, twelve week cycle sort of thing. It's uh, let's not talk about cycles. Fucking hell. If James was on the podcast, Jesus Christ, we'd be getting into another subject. Um, but you know, it's it's not a, a quick fix sort of thing. It is going to be a longer term thing. So you need to pick exercises that aren't going to fuck you up because if you get injured, that's your gaining phase fucking slowed down already. If you spend two or three months with an injured shoulder, that means you can't do most chest exercises, can't do shoulder exercises, can't do, you know, arm exercises, probably can't even do some, like if you're trying to do barbell squats, for example, you know, you don't want to be picking exercises that are going to injure you because that's going to be time lost. And again, it's it's pennies in the jar with this stuff. It's just putting a penny in the jar every single day and that starts to add up. But you, if you get injured, then you stop putting pennies in the jar, don't you? So we need to pick those right exercises. And for that, we need to know what joint ranges you have available because we don't want to be doing things that are forcing you into passive ranges that are, are going to potentially cause those injuries. So again, thinking about, the bench press, the bench press is a, a great example of this. If you've got super long arms and a shallow rib cage, then you're probably not going to have the range to touch the bar of your chest. So you might not actually find, you might not find bench press to be that effective for you. So we need to pick these exercises that, that suit our structure. Um, again, like if you are that guy with the long arms and a shallow rib cage and you've not got the ranges available, the joints to actually touch the bar of your chest, but you're doing it anyway just because some guy told you in the gym that you have to do it. Well, eventually, that's probably going to fuck up your shoulders. And again, that's time lost. So that's that's kind of things we, we want to think about. Um, and even then, it's like, even if you can get into those ranges, if you've got contractile ability in those ranges, again, a lot of people listening to this will be kind of intermediate kind of trainers anyway, or even more advanced. So you might not find that to be as much of an issue as you would with your kind of gem pop sort of clients. But again, it's still definitely possible because if you can get into that range but you've not got contractile ability of some of the tissues around about the joints then what does that do to the joint it leaves them compromised so we don't want to be doing that um your recovery capabilities are going to come into it too again i've talked about frequency and you know if you were doing things if you're training chest three times per week and you were training hard three times per week and you weren't recovering from it you know you're not gonna you're not gonna get those adaptations because you're not going to be able to approach it with the same intensity, but obviously it's still recovering from the last time as well. Um, and then looking at the tolerances, you've got the joints as well. You know, again, it's it's looking at the signs, it's listening to the signs, but it's a bit like sunburn, this stuff. It's like you don't know you've had too much till you've had too much. So it's, yeah, it's recognising the signs of that and approaching it sensibly. Again, 
you could go on about this stuff for ages. But, you know, those are all the considerations around about a training program or some of the considerations around about a training program. But what, what actually causes muscle growth, that's, I've not mentioned that, um, which, again, you don't need to know too much about this to, to make it happen because i mean I, i'd say i built a decent amount of muscle without ever knowing what caused muscle growth i just fucking lifted um but you know you've got mechanical tension which is the main driver of of muscle growth right um and mechanical tension obviously as, as i've like alluded to already it must be progressed over time and your muscles are, are going to adapt to it so obviously that's why you want to progress that over time you want to increase the tension that is placed on those muscles and that's usually by increasing the load um metabolic stress is another one which is basically think of the think of the pump that you get think of lactic acid buildup and um, when your muscles are working more than they're relaxing well that's you know a buildup of metabolites and um, so that's another way of building muscles so it's kind of more your volume work um you might say um and then muscle damage as well which is more of a kind of byproduct of mechanical tension but you do you can you can cause more muscle damage by doing exercises in a certain way focusing on heavy eccentric work or things like that um but yeah as i say it's more about a kind of byproduct but mechanical tension is a main driver of um hypertrophy or muscle gain or whatever you want to fucking call it um but it it needs to be progressed over time essentially that's 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 the take home from that um you think of it like this like when i first went into the gym i was doing sets of dumbbell chest press at like 15 kilos or something um if i was still doing 15 kilos for three sets of 10 or whatever at the minute that's not going to be near enough to progress my chest i'm not going to build any muscle off that i keep talking about chest stuff don't i um but i'm not going to build any muscle off that um but at the start i would have but if i hadn't progressed my weights over time then you know fucking 10 years later i'm still doing three sets of 10 at 15 kilo dumbbells probably wouldn't have gained much muscle on my chest probably would have got so far and that would be it so yeah things do need to be progressed over time um when it comes to the volume side of things when it comes to the intensity side of things um then yeah that's 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 i'm i'm getting into so much stuff here i hope this isn't boring as shit because i think there's a lot of stuff i'm talking about here and i'm just i'm trying to cover a lot of stuff that i put into the bulking blueprint um which kind of makes the bulking blueprint irrelevant but there's some freebies in there so go download it anyway um did i mention that already go download it anyway um but yeah volume intensity these, these are things that people tend to argue about um you know is it higher volume and lower intensity approach or is it higher intensity or volume um volume referring to how much like how much you do in, in, in a training session you know um how much sets and reps essentially um i would say well it's not just it's not just an opinion all not all volume is is, is equal not all volume is going to be effective for muscle growth so you can waste a lot of time doing volume that isn't really doing anything for you it's fucking waste of time waste of energy um so I what I usually use with clients to ensure that their volume isn't a waste of time is for their working sets, I'll refer to something like the RPE scale, which is basically it's basically a scale of one to ten on how intense your set is. So if you were an RPE nine, for example, it's like right, I can do one more rep. Um if you're RPE eight, could do two more reps. If you're RPE ten, it's like I'm going fucking all out here. Um clients, if you're listening to this cover your ears um i'll usually set the rpe a bit higher because i don't expect most people to train at the intensity 
that I would like them to. So if I'm doing it, if I'm doing a ten for intensity, which I'll do on certain exercises, um, then I reckon they're probably only going about an eight. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the time, people don't train as hard as they think they do. Um, until that's obviously a good reason to me be like if you've got an online coach like meeting up with them and doing a session and seeing the intensity they're expecting it to and that's why I like doing it just like setting the tone and again you know it's a big reason for for wanting to get the gym as well and again I get sidetracked here but um I think it'd be cool to have a place where although most of my work is online now it's like people come see you and we, we set that fucking standards like this is how I want you to train so yeah that'd be pretty cool but you know um we 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 want to use that kind of we want to be training at an intensity that is within range of failure because that is where we're going to get the most effective reps the ones that are going to actually cause that adaptation again if i was still doing those three sets of 10 at the 10 kilo dumbbells or 15 kilo dumbbells for chest press i'm not going to be anywhere near at 8 9 10 on the rpe scale i'm going to be sitting down at like kind of between one to four on RP scale um and it's pretty much irrelevant apart from warming up that's going to be pretty much irrelevant for me but the one thing with an RPE scale is or any sort of intensity scale is you know what are you defining as failure because again you and I as I say could have very different ideas of of what failure is um, and again that's kind of what I was talking about with my clients it's like you want to set you you want to set the standard, but they if they don't know what the standard is, if they don't know what failure is, what are we actually comparing to? So your idea of failure could be totally different. And I've kind of come up with my own sort of hypothesis on this. Um big word that isn't it? Um kind of came up with my own kind of hypothesis on this, but like again, this could be a lot of different things. It could just be the breakdown of form. And if, if it is a breakdown of form, how how little or how much are we talking about? Um, It could be struggling to maintain the tempo that you were doing your reps at. So if you're, again, if you're training with certain tempo, particular tempos, you could say that, okay, when you stop, you know, hitting this sort of tempo, that's when we're, we're going to, we're going to stop the set. That's going to be failure. Um, failure could come in the lengthened range of a muscle, uh, mid range of a muscle, a shortened range. So like, you know, Where's that muscle strongest? Where's that muscle weakest? Um, and you know, where's the exercise heaviest and where's the exercise lightest? That's what we've got to think about there. Um, but then as well, what about drop sets? What about mechanical drop sets? What about rest pauses? What about muscle rounds? What about all these intensifiers? Like, where does it end? Do we get to the point where you can't actually lift your limb up under any load? You know, what are we talking about? Are we talking about concentric failure, which is obviously the lifting portion of the rep? Um, I'm doing like a lateral raise here, by the way, just in case you're wondering what I'm doing. Um, or is it, or is it failure knee centric portion? Because people always say we're stronger knee centric, but we're not. We're not stronger knee centric. You just have to come up with less force because essentially you're not trying to beat the weight anymore. If you've got ten kilos in your hand to do a lateral raise on the way up, you need to um, come up with more than ten kilos worth of force. On the way down, you only need to come up with nine kilos worth of force, if you know what I mean, to decelerate that back down. You don't need to beat the load on the way down. You just have to do enough to slow it down or some people don't even do that um but my kind of hypothesis that i was talking about was depending on the exercise failure my failure changes depend on the exercise so if i'm doing a squat a barbell squat right my failure on that is going to be when my um medial arch of my foot starts to collapse and as a result my knee starts falling and i get a bit of valgus right for me the breakdown of form is failure 
on the squat, okay? Because I'm not going to go to complete failure on a squat because the risk for injury is way too high. Risk versus reward, not worth it. When it comes to the hack squat, things are going to change because I'm in a more stable environment and there's less injury risk. And personally, I don't get as much kind of issues with my, my ankle mobility there. So, um, or, the, you know, the medial arch stability more than anything. But anyway, <laughs> not talking about that. Remind myself, we're not talking about that. We're talking about something else. Um, but on the, on the hack squat, then, yeah, I'm going to go closer to complete failure on there. Again, I might... On occasion, I will go to complete failure where I'm basically stuck at the bottom of it. But it's going to depend how that hack squat set up as well, because is that hack squat set up normally where it is a lot harder at the bottom? And then failure might be where someone has to give you a spot at the bottom and help you out. But, you know, if you've got a reverse band and you've got it set up correctly, then it's going to be a pretty even challenge for the whole range. So where does failure come then? I don't know. But I'm more likely to go closer to like just being stuck at the bottom of that um, because it's there's less risk to injury. But then when it comes to a uh, leg extension, then basically failure for me is, is a point where I can no longer finish the rep. But again, to add some caveats to that is like what kind of leg extension you're on? Are you on one that's got a circular cam that, you know, where the load basically stays the same all the way through, which means it gets harder at the top because we're weaker there? Or are you on one that accounts for our strength profiles and therefore the resistance profile matches it? So then, you, again, you're getting a full range kind of challenge there but so it, it totally depends but what i'm saying there what i want you to gather from that is that in a more stable environment with less injury risk failure is going to be more extreme for me than it will be in a less stable environment with more injury risk so leg extension i'm going to go closer to not being able to move my limb anymore and um, compared to a back squat where i might go to the point where my form breaks down so hopefully that makes sense um and then taking that back to what we were talking about, um, I can start to base my RPE scale on that. For each exercise, it might change up a little bit, but hopefully that kind of makes sense. Um, hopefully it gives you some sort of direction for the intensity of your workouts. <clears throat> oh, I'm going to take a drink. This has been a, it's been a lot of talking. How long have I been on? Longer than I would have liked. So... Here's what to do for your training. Make yourself a split that works with the number of days that you can train per week, okay? Again, go download the Belkin Blueprint. There's example training programs on there um, from three days per week up to six, I want to say. Um, I wouldn't personally train any less than three days per week if you want to gain appreciable muscle. Um, I would say that more often it's better depending on your recovery capability. So if you could train seven days a week and recover from it, then fucking yeah, go do it. But you've got to understand is we have a lot of other things going on. We're not just, we're not elite athletes that train to, you know, we're not getting paid to train. We're not spending our free time in fucking cryotherapy chambers or, you know, saunas or things like that. Maybe we are spending time in saunas, but, you know, we can't spend all day recovering. If you look at, at, at an elite, elite athlete, they train, they recover. You know, they train, they recover, and they spend a lot of time on their recovery. They'll spend, you know, they'll nap during the day as well, which is obviously going to help with the whole sleep side of things. So, you know, you can only train as often as you can recover from, um, but definitely train as frequently as you can recover from. Um, yeah. Um, in, in terms of the exercises you pick, you know, pick exercises that you can perform with no joint issues, that you can progress, that you do enjoy, and the ones that aren't going to injure you over time. Make sure you nail your form first. I don't think I mentioned that yet, but make sure you nail your form first so that like 
if you're getting your form bang on, then you can standardize that and you can progress it from there. But if one day you're doing, again, say your leg extensions for a particular tempo and you're doing them nice and controlled and you're having a positive round and the next day you put the weight up because the last week it was all right um, and then you just chuck them up and use it with a lot of momentum, that's not the same thing. That's not the same exercise. It's not the same tension that's on the muscle. So you need to standardize it so that you can then progress it. If you don't standardize it first, then you're comparing apples to oranges and it's not the same thing. Um, and then from there, start to track your progression in the gym. As I say, you do want to be increasing the tension on the muscle over time, and that's mostly going to come through the actual load that you've got on the muscle. So we want to be logging our lifts, and we want to be making sure we're progressing our lifts over time. And that doesn't mean every single week. That just means over time, the trend should be trending upwards or in the right direction. And again, there will be times where you have to pull back, and you're actually like, shit, you know what? I've let myself get a little bit sloppy in that. I need to pull it back. I need to nail that form again. And then go back to progressing but you know anyway shit happens it, it it takes time and as i say play the long game with the shit play the long game and it'll pay off um and then i would say in terms of rep ranges which we never really got onto um most of the literature i, I fucking hate myself even saying this i sound like a generic fucking um fitness professional online most of the literature says that you should train within three uh, what is it six six to thirty reps but you know <laughs> Six to thirty reps. I mean, how fucking ridiculous is that in a sense? Like, so five reps doesn't gain muscle, and thirty-one reps doesn't gain muscle. You know what I mean? But personally, I think if the intensity is there, I would just say cover a variety of rep ranges. It, it, I, I would say it'd be pretty cool to do sets that are low in reps. Um, you know, between maybe five, six, seven, eight. Um, ones that are kind of moderate. You know, ten, twelve. And then, you know, higher, higher rep sets from time to time as well. I would definitely include a combination of them all and see what works best for you. You know, you might find you actually respond really be- really well to doing 31 reps, even though even though the literature doesn't say that that, that, that works for you. Um, so try it out. Um, I would say if you're relatively new to training, you might want to start with a higher volume approach and then gradually over time, you can move to that lower volume, higher intensity approach because when you're relatively new to training and you've not got the skill level, you're not your form's not that great. You're not you've not got solid starts and stops, and your 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 reps and sets aren't that good, and they're not standardized. You probably want to practice that first. You probably want to spend more time doing more sets and reps until you get very good at that. And then when you've got the combination of good form, you're you're approaching each set with the right intensity, and you're you're able to get that intensity, and you're able to get that connection to the to the right tissues that you're trying to use rather than just moving. And um, then you can kind of earn the right to move on to a lower volume and higher intensity approach. This phone's going off like mad. Emails. And they're all shit. <laughs> so yeah. Got what I was saying there. Um, things to consider out with the training side of things um, and the diet side of things is going to be lifestyle factors. As I say, like we're not only elite athletes. Our only worries are not how we perform in the gym unfortunately i know some of you guys would like to get paid to train um i would like to get paid to train um people are probably under the illusion that i do but i definitely fucking don't i actually i get less time to train now that my job is in fitness than i ever did before which is mental really people will probably be like, shut up you're working in a gym you're opening a gym but honestly i have less time to train now than i've ever had in my life um but like 
how far do I go into this? The the stress side of things, the variables from stress, sleep, um, I suppose digestion too, um, which we will talk about digestion, um, but all those different var- variables and how you handle them outside of your training are going to make a big impact. When mostly it's going to be stress and sleep that we're going to be worried about. Um, essentially, when it comes to stress, a real quick kind of way of mapping this up, um, is you got a sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic is your fight or flight mode. Parasympathetic is a rest and digest mode. Sympathetic nervous system is not a bad thing because like if you were running from a fucking bear, for example, you would want to be in a sympathetic state. Your body needs that emergency response to help you get away from those situations. But unfortunately, nowadays, the sympathetic response comes from work deadlines, you know, college deadlines, uni deadlines, you know, relationship stresses. And when those stresses don't go away, you know, if the bear's chasing you, the bear either gets you and fucking mauls you to death and kills you, or you get away from it and that stress disappears and you can return to your parasympathetic state. Um, But these little stresses that your bodies respond to in the same way, um, they're constant. They never end for some people. Um, I'm not saying for everyone, but for some people, they never end and they're constant. And you're constantly in that sympathetic state, and that's when that's when we get chronically stressed. Um, but the parasympathetic nervous system, um, sympathetic, I can't even say it. Parasympathetic nervous system, um, your rest and digest mode is where you want to spend most of your time. Okay. Um, and again, <laughs> you can go into this a lot there's so much to talk about here um you want to manage your stress as best as possible that's that's what i'm going to say because if your body is in a chronically stressed position where you've got a suppressed immune system your digestion is suppressed is suppressed sorry expressed um you know high blood pressure um increased blood sugar you know poor emotional state you know poor sleep um, then you know you're not going to be in a position to build muscle. Your body is not going to want to use those, those calories to build muscle. Um, your body's again going to be um preoccupied. You might say so. Again, think of it like filling the cup, right? Filling the cup's a good analogy. Um, every little thing fills a cup. So you've got work stress. You've got you know poor sleep. You've got you know relationship stress. You've got you know these feelings of not being good enough. These feelings of trying to keep everyone happy and all these other things, you know, finances, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you've got a calorie surplus or a calorie deficit or intense training. Those are things as well that cause stress to the system. And it, it doesn't mean they're negative things, but they're, they're stressed and they, they're things that fill that cup. So, you know, sometimes if we are going through periods of high high stress, if, if you suspect, for me, if I suspect the client's chronically stressed, you know, what can I control? Well, I can control their training. I can reduce the intensity of their training. I can start to add in some, you know, um, less intense training. So things like, you you might actually just put in some low intensity cardio, which will help reduce that load. So you're taking something out of the cup there. You could give them a deload or days off training. It's taking something out of the cup there. You know you're 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 taking what you can out of the cup. I I can't control what my clients are going through in terms of their family stress, in terms of their finances, things like that. But I can help control that. I can give them advice on you know optimizing their sleep. You know I can I can help with stuff like that. I but you know you've just kind of got to look at you know. Where if you're the trainer, where you can help, you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, we we need to be managing these lifestyle factors 
Otherwise, uh, if we want to get the most out of our game face, that's actually the, the, the best way to can, kind of put it from there. Um, again, in the Balkan Blueprint, I do go into this in a bit more detail because, I, I don't know, it's just one of those things that requires a bit of detail. Um, sleep, obviously, being a big one. Um, if you're chronically stressed, your sleep's going to be affected. If you're sleeping poor, you're more likely to be chronically stressed. You see how this stuff starts working together, right? Um, but sleep is where you grow. You know, that's where you recover and that's where you grow. Think about a baby. How often does a baby sleep? You know, babies will sleep for 16 hours a day. I don't know if that's true. I've I've had a fucking baby. I have a kid. Um, and I I don't know if that's true. But they sleep a lot. I, I think I think that's cats that sleep for a second that can sleep up to 16 hours a day. Fucking get cats and babies mixed up. But anyway, um, you know, babies sleep a lot um because they're growing. That's when they're growing. Um and they need that. Whereas when you're an adult, obviously you're finished growing hair. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's what your body thinks, but you're trying to make some gains, so you're gonna go fucking sleep like a baby. Um, but you, again, look at pro athletes, look at pro bodybuilders. Like if you type in Jay Cutler, um, I'm pretty sure there's like videos of him like taking naps and that and some of his like training videos and things like that. So yeah, video of someone taking a nap, it sounds fucking boring now. Eh? But like I'm sure these guys used to nap a lot. Um and again, if you if you're in a position where you can dedicate your life to bodybuilding, I would be dedicated a lot of time to sleep um personally um and optimizing your sleep as well because again it's where you're going to recover the main things that are going to fuck up your sleep um <laughs> the main things that are going to fuck up your sleep i've, I've got a way with words on them poor nutrition eating shit eating shit at bedtime blood sugar fluctuations that kind of come with that are going to leave your energy levels all over the place um alcohol Alcohol inhibits your ability to get into a deeper stage of sleep. Obviously, we've talked about stress, um, blue light exposure, laptops, phones, TVs. You know, that can affect some people. I, I, I find personally that doesn't affect me too much um, as far as I know. But even if you like, even if you're still getting to sleep, who's to say it's not affecting the quality of that sleep? A sign that you're sleeping well is that you're dreaming. I've been dreaming a lot recently, um, and I, I just know that my sleep's in a good place right now. Um, but yeah, that's a, a dreaming's a sign that you're in a deeper stage of sleep. So if you are getting dreams, then that's a good sign. Um, Obviously, caffeine. Caffeine has a half-life of five hours, so it means it takes five hours for half of that caffeine to get out of your system, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be another five hours to get the, the rest out. Um, you know, it could be longer. So, again, that's why people say caffeine cut-off point of, like, 2 p.m., but, again, this affects different people de uh, differently, but if you're having issues with your sleep, it's definitely something I would try out. Um, but the, the biggest thing is going to be routine. It's going to bed at the right fucking time. Figure out what time you're getting up in the morning, work back the clock however many hours you feel like you need i know personally i actually don't do that well in eight hours of sleep i feel more tired in eight hours of sleep um i do better in seven hours of sleep so you know my if i'm getting up at six i want to be sleeping for 11 and that gives me seven solid hours so i need to go to bed probably at half 10 so that i know that then i need to be preparing to go to bed at 10 because by the time i do all the shit i've got to do before i get to bed um it takes me half an hour so it's it's having that routine and knowing what time you then have to start going to bed and having that kind of willpower to do so being disciplined um i am um, I, I i was listening to a podcast once they talked about the one thing what is the one thing you can do that will affect the outcome sort of thing and the one thing when it comes to like you know if you're trying to um, the, the way they talked about it, right they talked about if you need to go to the gym at six o'clock in the morning right in order to 
get your workouts in, right? Well, what's the one thing you can do to ensure that happens? Okay, so you need to make sure you go to bed at the right time. Okay, so how do you make sure you go to bed at the right time? You know, like I say, if I if, if I need to go to bed at 11, I need to move at 10, essentially, to get up to bed for half 10 so that I'm sleeping for 11. So what is the one thing I can do to make sure that I, I, I move at 10? And that one thing is press the red button on the remote. It's a small, seemingly meaningless thing, but if I press that red button on the remote at, you know, 9.59 p.m., you know, then I will be in bed for half 10 and I will be asleep for 11 and I'll be up for six. And, you know, in this example, they were talking about going to the gym at that time. And then I will go to the gym at that time. You know what I mean? So it's like, what is that one thing, one seemingly insignificant thing you can do to ensure an outcome? So take what you want from that. Use that idea. Um, I've been talking for fucking ages. <laughs> been talking for ages. Jesus. How did we get here? Um. I think it would be unfair to talk about the other lifestyle factors without talking about digestion because that's kind of where I wanted to bring it back around to. Um, and obviously digestion is going to be a big thing when it comes to gaining because you need to eat a lot of food. So some of the common issues that I find with clients during the gaining phase is bloating, farting a lot, <laughs> shitting a lot, constipation, heartburn, right? They're the common ones. Um, and <laughs> there's obviously not a lot you can do about shitting a lot because you're eating more food. Um, the rest of the stuff, potentially there's, there's there's stuff we can do about it. So the most the biggest thing for most people is that they don't they don't focus on the first two stages of digestion and neither die. And I've known this for years and I've still I still never do it. But you should think about your food before eating it because stage one of digestion starts in the brain, okay? Um, stage one of digestion starts when you, even, I suppose, start thinking about food. Um, and if you're looking at your food, thinking about it, smelling it, the, the, the saliva starts to build up in your mouth and there is digestive enzymes in there. Um, there is amylase in there. <laughs> Testing my knowledge here, um, which breaks down carbohydrates. So, Carbohydrates are the first things to get breaking down, broken down um, in the mouth. But, you know, thinking about your food before eating it, like when you're in a restaurant and you're waiting for your food to come and you're smelling other people's foods and your mouth starts um, starts filling up with saliva, that's stage one of digestion. You want to recreate that at home, okay? And then stage two is chewing your food until it's liquid-like, um, which none of us do. Like, I can guarantee you 99% of the people listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube um, will not chew their food until it's liquid-like. And that just creates an easier bolus of food for the rest of the system to take. So those two things, in my opinion, make the biggest difference to digestion. You know, I've heard people say, oh, I think I'm intolerant to this, I think I'm intolerant to that. And you might be, but I've said, do you chew your food? Do you think about your food before eating it? Oh, no, no. And then a week or two later, how's your digestion? Yeah, a lot better. I'm like, hmm, funny that. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're someone that tends to rush their foods down, I would I would look at potentially using foods that are already kind of broken down for you. So instead of eating a steak, maybe eat some mince. You know, extreme examples, but you know, mince is obviously already half broken down for you. You know, if you're someone who who is always on the go and needs to eat fast, um, you know, if you're a PT for example, um, you know, mince and mashed potatoes there's a meal that's half broken down for you. Obviously, when you chew it, it turns into, like, steak would turn into mince, essentially, anyway, in your mouth. Um, And, you know, potatoes would turn into, boiled potatoes would turn, essentially, into the mashed potatoes in your mouth. But, you know, half the chewing is done for you in that meal. So, you know, think about it like that. Things like yogurt, things like fruit, things that are soft are going to break down easier than things that are hard and rugged. Um, Is rugged the word you'd use? I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, those sort of things are 
go to break down easier. So if you find that you're someone who doesn't chew their food properly, you might want to think about picking food sources that are already the, the jobs half done for you. Um so yeah, um reducing your fiber intake might help as well because in a gaining phase when you're eating a lot of calories, if you're eating a lot of quote unquote clean foods, there will be a lot of fiber. Too much fiber can actually be an issue too. And too much fiber can actually cause things like constipation, for example. Like remember what I was talking about with the oats, the 200 grams of oats, that was probably too much fiber. Um, my fiber intake was probably like 100 grams at that point, which is a lot, I would say. Um, you know, again, individual tolerance as well. Fiber, I found 100 grams to be a lot. Um, um, fiber again when you diet in it's a total different thing because the more fiber you eat the fuller you're going to feel um, but yeah when when it comes to um, gaining you're not going to want to not eat a good amount of fiber but you, you don't want to eat too much because that's not a good thing um, you may want to eat more liquid calories again it's broken down it's easier to go down um, you may want to spend some time doing lower calorie weeks if you've been pushing for a long time you might want to bring yourself back a couple of weeks and just give your digestion a break, get yourself hungry again, build up that appetite again um, for even just a week, you know, or even just a few days, you know, it might be worth doing. Um, drinking plenty of water, getting plenty of water is obviously going to help. Um, going for a short walk or standing up after meals, even standing up because obviously gravity helps the digestive process but going for a walk i think to be more effective than just standing but you know it depends on your situation which one you're going to be able to do um and yeah i also suggest buying plenty of toilet roll make sure you've got plenty make sure um if any covid things come up that you you've you've already got a stash you're already prepared um because you're probably going to need a lot of it but you can see how all this stuff kind of feeds into one another if you're chronically stressed and then that's going to cause poor sleep. Poor sleep is going to cause poor digestion. You know, all these things kind of work in to each other. If you're sleeping well, stressing less, you're going to digest better. You know what I mean? Um, and then that all feeds into that recovery loop as well. Um, and then that feeds into obviously, you know, <laughs> training is basically, or, or the adaptation is basically stimulus and recovery. You know, if you don't recover, it's not going to be the same adaptation. So we want to be looking at all those things. And that's why I wanted to mention that today, because it's boring as shit, all, all the stress, sleep, digestion stuff, but it's pretty fucking important. Um, so, yeah. But to kind of finish you guys off, um, you know, once you've got everything that I've talked about in check, you know, you, you're going to want to push for a long time. Like I said, you, you want to play the long game. You want to spend more time gaining, right? But how long do you push for? Well, it depends. Where's your current body composition at? How far are you comfortable with taking it? You know, if you're finding you're coming out of the shower and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, fuck me, I've got fat. And like, you know, you kind of hate the way you look and you're just holding a bit too much fat. And you get to that point where, like I talked about earlier, it's, it's counterproductive. You're not really getting any stronger. You're not really getting any other benefits from it. Then you might want to pull back. Um, if your digestion shit, again, you might want to pull back. I talked about that already just five minutes ago where like, you might want to spend time on lower calories just to kind of rejig your digestion and get your appetite back up there, your digestion or, or your appetite, you know. Um, if you're still progressing in the gym, like I talked about, you're not hitting that stalemate, you're not at that point where it, it's counterproductive, your returns you're getting are very minimal. Um, if you're feeling like shit every day, um, obviously that's going to be a sign to kind of pull back too. So those are, the, those are the kind of signs that you pull back. But you also need to think about when are you going to be dieting down next? Because if you're dieting down in two months' time, then is there any point in pulling back now? 
Potentially. I'm not saying there's not, but you want to have that longer term plan because if you know, right, right now it's October. My next diet is for August next year because I'm going on holiday. That's going to be my next diet. Um, and say you say right now your body composition's in a place beyond where you want it to be. Your digestion's shit. Your appetite's non-existent. You're not progressing in the gym. And you feel like shit every day. Then actually, it might make sense to spend the next four weeks in a kind of sort of mini cut phase, dieting down, um, to rejig your appetite, to get your body composition back to a better place, um, and, and just give you a kind of reset really from gaining, um. But for that, you need to know. You need to know the kind of longer term plan. You need to know where you're kind of heading with things. Um, but yeah, but to, to sum it up and to, to give you something to finish on, when you're dieting down, not dieting down, we're not dieting down, when you're, when you're gaining, there will be points where you start to question if you're even making any progress because when you're dieting down, you will see the changes week on week. You'll be able to see pounds coming off. You will be able to see progress in your pictures. But it can be hard to see that when you're gaining. Um, and that's where we have to get out of this mindset of weekly changes and weekly progress. We need to stop thinking in days and weeks. We need to think in months and years, really, um, because the stuff you're doing today is not going to be for today. It's not going to be for tomorrow. It's not going to be for next week. It's not even fucking going to be for next month half the time. We need to play the long game. We need to stay as consistent as possible. And if you're ticking all the boxes day in, day out, the results will come. I promise you. So, I'll leave it at that. That was a nice wee outro there. Um, I feel like that was a lot of information. Um, I had some notes there and I had a lot of stuff I wanted to cover and I covered it all. Um, I've no idea how long this is because it doesn't tell me how long it was, but I feel like that was a long one. Um, But yeah, <laughs> I feel like I could have expanded on a lot of those things as well. But it's just a basic outline. Again, it's a basic outline of what I've included in the Balkan Blueprint, okay? Um, and it's probably as much detail as you need from that but definitely go ahead and download it anyway head over to my instagram page um the link's in my bio or if it's not there anymore when you're listening to this just drop me a message with the word balkan blueprint or just be normal and drop me a message say hi connor can you send over that balkan blueprint and i'll be like yeah no bother um but yeah definitely check it out because there's there's loads of free giveaways in there there's a free tracker sheet for tracking your progress there's a free um like example meal plans a free example training plans um so there's basically everything you need and that combined with this information will mean that you don't have to hire me so i've just done myself out of a job uh brilliant that actually um you know what fuck that the balkan blueprints off the cards um but no definitely go download it anyway um, and give it a try see how you get on with it and um hopefully I've, I've given you enough information to get started but again all this stuff that i've talked about today is the stuff i wish i knew when i first started when i when i took on my first bulk um so yeah we'll leave it at that thanks for listening guys